I've got sort of two personalities really. There's this fascination with the latest cutting edge stuff. And then there is this uh, need for wholesomeness. Welcome to episode three of Design Pod. And in this episode, we're looking at the future of technology with special guest, Jason Bradbury. But before we do so, Harriet, welcome back. How are you? Yes, I'm really well, thank you. Surviving the uh, final throes of the lockdown, hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> back under your duvet. I am. And, I'm uh... <laughs> just desperate to escape, frankly. <laughs> oh, won't be long. It won't be long. Mm. And this episode's all about technology. So. I mean, just talk me through how relevant technology is right now in interior design and, and the conversations that we are actually having in the industry. I, I think it um, it goes back to actually it's it's been an ongoing discussion for many years, really, because the technology, the job really for tech is to push the boundaries constantly, and man has got to catch up with that. So you ha- you know you have your techie specialists who are just want to automate everything, and then you have your humans, and it's all about how relevant is the tech that they're producing to making our lives easier, safer, funner, whatever, um, you know, in, in, in the built environment. And um, you, ultimately, it's down to whether man can actually operate these, um, these systems or not, and whether they find them user friendly. And with this session being um, sponsored, in fact, this series being sponsored by Bathroom Brands Group, let's talk about technology in bathrooms because water and electricity do not Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. We've all checked into those um, hotel experiences where there's just far too much technology happening in the bathroom. How do you see technology being integrated sensitively and seamlessly um, in tomorrow's bathroom from from a residential perspective as well as mm. a um, you know hospitality one mm. well I think you know I, I thought that our um, desire to have TVs in bathrooms had maybe um, started to disappear because really who needs a TV in a bathroom but uh, people do still and we're just doing a project where we're implementing three of them uh, at great expense behind mirrors or bathroom mirrors so that when they're not on you don't see them it's just a mirror um so i think you know that is but that comes as a very high price tag um but some people just feel the need to have that so we continue to do that but in in a more um maybe a more exciting um uh, development is uh you know use of sort of touch touch pads to switch showers on um and i think that you know that that sort of idea particularly if you've got disabled um clients or guests in bathrooms the ability to not have to turn things but just to press a button can be super useful you can do that remotely without having to put your arm into the shower um so touch controls sensitive uh, heat sensitive controls are probably a really good idea underfloor heating you know, that's done with electricity, often underfloor heating with an electric mat rather than a wet system in a bathroom. Wonderful as a tile warmer in the morning. So there's all these small touches. You don't need to go to the full sort of TV experience to actually have a few little bits of tech, which are obviously all, you know, fully IP rated. There's no issue with the, uh, the power and the water meeting, but they just add that little extra bit of luxury, comfort, maybe somehow in the background, really. You don't really notice it, mm. but it's just there. And in your experience, Harriet, how are suppliers, um, you know, really introducing these products um, in a hidden way that sort of works with the interior design scheme? 
Yeah, I think it's um, within the bathroom, it's uh, suppliers are often looking at new ways of um, inventing what's been around for a long time. So, for instance, thermostatic shower control and Crosswater have um, brought in a product called a Crossbox Push, which is, um, which is new technology which allows for um, a push button process rather than a rotary process, uh, which is obviously much more suited to... Um, people who've got disabilities. So if you've got arthritic hands or, you know, you just have a problem with that, then pushing a button seems to me a really sensible way of um, working out, working um, an old an old item into a new form. Um, so yeah, in, there is a lot going on in terms of um, tech, tech advances for bathroom products. And what I love about that product in particular is it's, it's the second generation of a product that was already already very popular. So it's nice to see suppliers are just continually trying to um, evolve forward in order to offer new solutions for, for modern day problems, you know. Exactly. And um, other examples would be that um, suppliers have um, introduced, you know, a new, uh, what we would have often in a, say, um, uh, public wash bar, washroom where you have an infrared um, beam to break and it turns the tap on and they started using implementing that into residential situations which is fantastic so for instance in your kitchen you know you, you've been chopping up chicken or some raw chicken or something you don't want to touch the tap to turn it on so you wave your hand in front of the tap and it comes out as a pre at a preset 38 degrees or whatever and um, you can wash your hands you know without having to touch the touch the tap so um, some of these things that were originally designed to be you know uh, sanitary in in critical areas and now being brought into residential so we in, in, a, in a you know not in a gimmicky way but in actually in a very practical way and implemented into a tap you would like to have as well i think what i'm seeing in hospitality is that not that people aren't or brands aren't afraid now to to narrow down their audience um and to be a bit bolder in their decisions and um, when it comes to that. So Harry, are you going to be in uh, introducing an Alexa shower in your in your household? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but be, I, I do quite like the idea of walking into the bathroom and just shouting and say, shower on now. <laughs> 38 degrees. No, because that will get translated into your day-to-day -day life and you'll go to a coffee shop and be like, coffee yeah. now. <laughs> Okay, it's time to welcome our guest for this episode. Um, today's guest is Jason Bradbury. He's probably best known uh, for uh, being the most recognised face in technology, but also the presenter of The Gadget Show. But in addition to more than 20 years in front of the TV screen, um, he was the original social media influencer when it comes to technology and is now a regular speaker in front of audiences for established brands. I caught up with Jason to establish tech's role in interior design and architecture. Jason Bradbury is in the building. Hi, Jason. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm virtually connected to the building, yeah. um, which actually <laughs> I prefer because I, I look, can I just say uh, thanks, COVID, uh, for realizing the future that I've been predicting. And so I, I left the Gadget Show. Your listeners might know me from the Gadget Show, a show I used to do on Channel 5 for about 12 years. And um, uh I, when I left there, I was only able to leave because I was kind of projecting myself into a future of home working. And I, I set up a home office and a good broadband connection. And I've done podcasts of various clients. And uh, and then so what's happened now as a result of, of lockdown really is what I was predicting. And, and when I say predicting, I mean, my actual job now is talking about the future, as you know, Hamish, because that's the context in which we've met yeah. before. And um, but little did I know that it would blow up and overnight 
and that we'd all, <laughs> you know, forsaking our cars and, and linking up just like you and I are right now. It's amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. So you're telling me just like the trends you predict in technology, you were working way in advance of COVID, working from home and, you know, working well, let me, remotely. Let me say what I mean by that. So what, 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 so I don't know, there's probably some kind of psychological personality type that I'm sure there is that we all belong to, but I'm in some type that kind of sees stuff and doesn't understand why everyone's not doing it. That's my personality type. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm an early adopter. And to the extent that nothing I have ever works properly, <laughs> because I'm always <laughs> trying to get the next thing. So it might be a new VR helmet for which, you know, it's got a much field, bigger field of view, but none of the standard VR games work on it yet. It's that sort of, that's the sort of, you know, first world problem that I have to contend with. And so with regard to this shift, this immediate shift that we've just experienced in life work balance, I was like looking at uh, my working life and thinking, why am I on this train? Mm. Why am I on this tube train? Why am I living in London? What's the point of all this expense and the toxicity of that sort of metropolitan lifestyle with, with three children when I could be living in Bali or Australia or Lincolnshire, which is where I actually ended up, <laughs> um, and, and still able to learn a living, you know, using X technology and, and Y techniques. And that's what I've done now. And, and as we move forward, I mean, you don't want me to get my futurologist hat on, but we're talking about lots of interesting technological innovations that are going to make that far more normal and, and easy. VR is an obvious one. We can talk about that at some point if you want, but mm. the, the obvious projection of all this zooming uh, and uh, teams is 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 wearing some form of augmented reality or virtuality headset with a much more visceral, much more physical representation of yourself and your work colleagues. So I would say in the architectural sphere, it's going to be really interesting because you're going to move from you know, an environment that is, first of all, imagined digitally and then built physically, just the architectural process, isn't it? Mm -hmm. To a situation where they're imagined digitally, built physically and built digitally. And so companies are going to offer their space in a virtual context as well as the physical space. That's actually quite damaging as well, because the architects I've been speaking to recently, when it comes to, and designers as well, when it comes to pitching for clients, the clients now expect a render that is so, you know, to such a quality that it's like, it's the finished product. So they end up doing so much of the work up front and actually it loses the creative process along the way as well. So it's like, there's pros and cons to that, which is, is kind of scary, but it's something that I think designers and architects should really look at sensitively and have a conversation together as to how much they pitch moving forward. So Jason, let, let's talk about, um, how we first met and it sort of ties into what you were just saying in regards to um, the pandemic because everyone now is sort of like I think unplugging almost and really looking for tech free spaces to kind of get into their own heads and away from technology um, to a certain extent but tell us about your um, your year away from uh, life as we know it today. So okay so I went from this amazing I mean this incredible opportunity that somehow flukely enough I got which was to host a mainstream tv show that sent me around the world to look at the stuff that I love which is is technology but also I also got the best stuff as well and I got the kind of bonkers skateboards or hoverboards or you know is there a self-driving car great we'll put Jason in it and so I, I would end up in Silicon Valley or you know Shenzhen or Hong Kong or over in LA and 
and it was wonderful. But having during that process, I also got married and had started to have children. And so I, I it became important for me to be at home. And I also saw, if I'm really honest, the writing on the wall for mainstream media, the very fact that Hamish is hosting his own brilliant podcast is testament to that. That's the I call that the uh, the democratization of everything. And um, in, in, that's one of the themes that I talk about in my Futurology uh, talks, um, um, meaning that, you know, you start with a printing press and that's localized within a city um, and only people that have access to that city and that printing press can have their words disseminated. And then we end up in this, I don't know when it was, but let's say it was the sort of early 90s with everyone's got a printer now. Yeah. And then we get to the point now where not only have you got your own printer, but you've got your own office and it's in the garage <laughs> and you only go into the city once a month. Do you get what I mean? That's the democratization yeah, totally. of everything. And um, uh, and so, yeah, I just r- realized that television was changing, that I'd made my mark and that I had an opportunity to get out and do social media, YouTube, um, but now Instagram, actually. The YouTube experiment didn't really work that well for me. Um, it's more Instagram for me now, as you well know, because you're yes, a key Instagrammer. Hold <laughs> two, not one, but two accounts. Am I right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. One where you do handstands and one yeah, where you don't. Absolutely. And, um, and so I've, actually, I've learned to combine the two doing handstands while reviewing hotels. That's <laughs> an important skill to be able to do. Unique that that balancing point. act in every sense <laughs> of the phrase. And so, yeah, so uh, long winded answer decided to leave the gadget show with a bang. And sell the house in London, put the money in a bank and spend some of it on going around the world for a year with the family, with the three children. And so we bought a motor home and off we went. And you were the chap who was um, tasked with attempting to find some way of funding that to a certain extent, which uh, which included getting us into some newspapers and talking about our, our adventure and uh, and it was you i think that delivered us to the lovely island of nevis which was an amazing yes. experience in the caribbean so we went there and we and we we picked fruit and and food and foraged in the garden and then got a chef from some amazing hotel in nevis um <laughs> four seasons it was um i think it's only fair that i give them an advert they were so generous thanks to you well and it's, it's such an authentic island as well well and it I, is i think for me it's really interesting because for people who don't know you personally, they see you on your social media as, you know, you're just always on tech, always. But actually, away from the scene, you you live quite a simple life, really, with your family in regards to like nutrition and um, and technology, really. I mean, you, you, it's all quite very authentic, I think is the right word. I, I love that. I hope it is. We try to be, but I... I um... Uh, you're right that I've got sort of two personalities really there's this fascination with the latest cutting edge stuff and then there is this uh, need for wholesomeness um, and really good quality food and health and and it's because we've had some health problems in our family you know I'm talking about my Mm. daughter who was diagnosed with arthritis when she was young and my wife who was an html coder so super geek she was um, (laughs) she then totally reskilled as a nutritional therapist went to uh, to college and got all of her qualifications and started to treat Marnie in, in an attempt to try and avoid pharmaceutical modern treatment. And we've had a load of success. I'd say that to everyone listening. If you've got health issues, do do think about your lifestyle and your food. I'm sure I'm telling people stuff they already know, but we've gone down it in such a, with such a, an enthusiasm and the cupboards are full of supplements and, and the fridge 
and the boxes in the kitchen are full of uh, healthy fruit and vegetables and organic foods. And we absolutely love all that stuff. And I don't lifestyle it on Insta. I don't do it all on Insta because I don't know. I don't, I, I don't get me wrong. I follow a lot of Instagrammers who are really into that lifestyle, but I don't think people want the guy from the gadget show to tell them what he's having for breakfast. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the trip around the world was about, detoxifying, finding a simple balance, experiencing what people from all different cultures and countries do um, with their health and with their food and their lifestyle. It wasn't about technology. Um, I want to say something about hotels, actually, because I do think, well, we worked together uh, uh, in another context, haven't we? In fact, I wrote an article for you. Yeah. Uh, the early days. You, yeah, you reviewed a hotel for us, but 30 years in the future. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can get read around that concept. And, and that, and I think in that article, I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure I started talking about health and wellness and, yeah. and you know, in the wider You went sense. as far to say, Jason, that toilets will monitor your stools and then tell you and analyze your stools to um, give you information as to what you're lacking in your diet. <laughs> well, remember how we started this conversation by you reflecting on, on uh, I mean, I mean, I stated it myself, but on how I predicted certain things that had become true even recently as a result of the pandemic. Would you believe one of the ways that they are tracking and tracing towns in the UK is they're analyzing sewage? That's actually happening right now. And then if you, this. Yeah, if you plug in the concept of uh, the democratization of everything, which you could also articulate as the localization of everything, then it's not a great jump, is it? If you can monitor a town through its sewage, then you, you basically crowdsource that uh, scientific approach and you say, actually, here's a widget that you can put down your loo or here's a, the new smart loo. And um, you start getting people to take responsibility for their own uh analysis if that makes sense if, if you can sort of you know think about that without getting grossed out but yeah <laughs> i did talk about that my point was going to be though that hotels and i mean this is no grand statement to your listeners so i'm guessing are quite well informed and are probably in the business but um you know that they they are going to be places of health and wellness and mindfulness and relaxation possibly more so than they have been in the past yeah we've and, definitely seen yeah. that and and that's because um, we, now we're going to be getting less of a metro experience. Some of us, according to, I forget which company it was. I heard on Radio 4 uh, just the other day, um, large UK uh, uh, retail brand. And they were talking about 30% uh, of their workforce are going to be working sometime um, at home now, whereas before none of them were. So, you know, and there'll be other other companies that that are even maybe not centered around the high street that that can expand that percentage because there's huge cost savings if you you know if your workforce don't have to work in an expensive office in the center of london or manchester or whatever um but what the wider point i'm making is that the hotel then become the experience that you require from a hotel when after six weeks of working really really hard um at home in your four walls with the odd you know the odd quick dive into london the hotel experience that you're looking for might be different compared to what it would be when you'd spent five days a week commuting. You know, I'm just saying they all play into the evolution of the hotel experience. 
Yeah, totally. And I think whereas maybe a few years ago, hotels were trying to replicate the home, I think now they're going to be trying to go one step ahead. So certainly in the bathroom, for example, um, when, when wellness is, is concerned, um, the, the senses are really being played on um, when it comes to establishing what the next products are going to be, certainly in the showers. Um, and that, that I think is really interesting, watching wellness go away from the spa and actually being injected in all other areas of the hotel as a result, I think, of the pandemic pandemic even though we were having those conversations before it's certainly been a catalyst for for change and I know you you and I have spoken about that a lot in regards to product development and those brands that sort of had the idea before but it just needs that that route to market that that's something and that is at the moment the pandemic that's allowing all these all these things to um to launch such as like air purifiers for example yeah that, so that you're right that infrastructure was there so so it is a thing for you the triangle of innovation I call it. Uh, innovation happens uh, when there is a significant new technology. So that would be the air purifiers, for example, yeah. sat there, not particularly having a great deal of market penetration, but that technology is there. That needs to be coupled up with another part of the triangle, um, which is a, a significant cultural shift. Well, that's COVID, obviously. And then the third part of the triangle is that innovation always comes from the outside. Now, that's slightly more abstract. What it means is that, um, you know, someone that comes up with a new food delivery app generally doesn't work in the food delivery industry. They might be a, they could be maybe a barista or they could be a musician. And that's important because that's where the newness, that's where the true left of field thinking comes from. Um, and so within that triangle, you can start to predict what, what's, what's happening. I'll tell you something we also talked about because we did a virtual conference, didn't we, recently? Yeah, and yeah. you invite, invited me on. Yeah, I was talking um, about a, well, what would you call it? Like a, it's like a holiday lodge park uh, yeah. that I'm sort of involved with. And that, we were talking we, we about got, public areas, weren't we? Well, that's right so we've got whether there needs to be whether there is moving forward or certainly for the short term a demand for public areas and that yeah. particular case study i think was going through a renovation and they shifted so this, their idea that is exactly right yeah. so basically we were about to invest a large amount of money or they were and i'm just involved on the periphery um in a big sort of clubhouse and a restaurant um They've already got a coffee bar in there. They're going to spruce that up. And that would be a significant investment. I don't know, several million pounds, right? Um, and it's surrounded by independent lodges, right? Which um, actually, if you think about it, the lodge part of this holiday experience is just beautifully positioned to take advantage of the new reality after, after lockdown and so on. Because you've got the privacy, you've got the bubble and all the rest of it. Um, and they've actually decided not to go with the big renovation because as you just pointed out, now, in literally in less than a year, it's become obvious that it's not necessary. In fact, the sorts of things that they're investing in, you'll like this. This is really interesting. They've got some goats. <laughs> They've got some goats and a little, um, what are they called? Those shepherd's huts, you know, like, like, like they look like they should be on, a rail, on railway tracks, which okay. where the goats can go and keep warm and, and, and you know, shelter at night. Um, they've got, and they've also got a, a, a sort of French, like a, one of these old French citrons that does pizzas. Oh, brilliant. So, you, so that's much better. Isn't I, it? So I you think in all of this, in, in any situation that disrupts hospitality, I think what comes out of it, are uh, really interesting 
uh, unique and authentic ideas. And it's those ideas that make business sense. It's like, you know, and that's why when people talk about sustainability, for example, and they, they want to create this eco hotel, it really annoys me when people sort of say that, because if you just thought outside the box and, and just did and worked with local suppliers and, and just from the grassroots up, then it would be a sustainable hotel, but it would also be a sustainable hotel that sets itself aside from every others, every yeah. other hotel. Um, and it's the same with this project when it comes to, you know, what they're offering. Now they're able to incorporate that wellness, incorporate um, something interesting and unique to, to that to that destination. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. The other thing that they invested in is a, a, a gate system at the, at the front and a little hut that one member of staff can sit in um, and welcome guests through their car window. So it's like a drive-through Starbucks would be, <laughs> or, or Costa, um, r- rather than the big clubhouse with a big reception. and the ho- So that, isn't that an interesting thing? So they've still spent money, but they've spent it in different places. And actually, as you say, they've created a different experience, a unique experience. As soon as I heard about um, 3D building with concrete, which I know now is old news. Uh, I sort of expected this explosion in rapid fabrication of buildings, but I haven't really seen it. And again, someone in the industry might say, no, 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 Jace, we would have been on site for two years and, and now we're on site for eight months. So it maybe has happened and I'm just not aware of it because, well, again, as you referenced earlier, because of lockdown, but I'm really interested to see some obvious leaps in that area. I mean, I remember watching Grand Designs years and years ago, and I'm sure you remember this, the Huff House. It was one of the most yeah. memorable brands from that series. I ended up working with Kevin McLeod on, on Grand Designs Live. And if I hadn't been contracted to Channel 5, I would have done a series with him, which would have been amazing. We were going to do a little double act. so cool, yeah. We got, I got this offer from Channel 4, and it was a, a show where he did the architecture and I did the, the sort of tech makeover. Would have been brilliant, but I couldn't do awesome. it. But um, I used to, I, but for about I, three I years... Do. I would feel sorry for the interior designer working with you, though, because I can imagine you'd be like, technology everywhere, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, but the, the, the thing is... Um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so the Huff House, the concept I loved about the Huff House was effectively you go on the website, you choose from a bunch of modules what you want. It's then fabricated local to them. And then, unless I'm mistaken, you, you've got your, your utilities are all set up and your concrete base and they bring it and they put it up in a matter of weeks rather than months. And um, I, loved, I loved that. And again, that was part of the seeding of this notion of like, come on then, where, where's, the, where's the 24-hour house? You know, mm. where are we there? I mean, are we there yet? Are we getting there? I feel as if the actually the episode before um, was Architecture Beyond Boundaries. And we spoke to the director of Zaha Hadid Architects, Christos Passas, such a lovely guy. And he had just completed a hotel in Dubai called the Opus or the buildings called the Opus. It shelters the um, me, um, me Dubai. And what they've been able to do through prototyping, through, you know, through all the research and the resources they've got is absolutely unbelievable there's a whole void that goes through it it's it's incredible um you know the the feat of architecture behind that project and i think if any studio would be willing to take it to the next level it would be someone like zaha hadid architects because they've also got that legacy that they have to maintain as well of always breaking those boundaries um so i think we're on something interesting at the moment it's an interesting time in architecture um and i feel as if that that would be the next 
logical step forward um, when it comes to you know the planning side of things and injecting technology through well, that way. You, you've got this. So again, I'll re, I'll repeat the previous sort of mantra, like a religious saying. You know, anything connected to information technology is subject to exponential growth, right? And and that includes all of the other stuff. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. So you get an electric car and it's capable of going 450 miles and it's really inexpensive uh, and it's super safe because it can um, kind of effectively drive itself. Uh, but you've still got to go through the DVLA. You've still got to insure it. And, and oh, and the, the, um, the, the pedestrian crossing is old, old, old 1950s technology and the roundabout's still a bit sluggish. And you understand what I mean? But, it, yeah, but totally. anything, yeah, anything connected to information technology will eventually catch up uh, it's like a wave breaking on a beach so the mass of water doesn't reach the beach at exactly the same time certain parts of the wave touch certain parts of the beach earlier than others yeah and i'd say it's the same with the 24-hour house which is this new phrase i've just invented which is um that i'm i'm guessing the actual physical printing of it using concrete is kind of there because i've seen it on youtube i know it's happening and you know it's happening but all the other stuff like the planning and all that stuff yeah. that's also got to exponentially increase for that process to be a, a truly remarkably quicker you know experience it's who does it first really i mean if it went wrong then you've got the responsibility on your shoulders this podcast series is sponsored by bathroom brands group which includes established trusted and regularly specified bathroom brands such as crosswater burlington britain and clearwater so, Jason, in each episode, we do a quick fire round um, just to break things up a little bit. So are you ready for our quick fire questions? Yes, I'm ready. OK, so picture the scene. Your house is burning down. Don't worry, your family's safe. But you only have time to fetch one gadget. Which one would it be? Oculus Quest 2. And why is that? Because I love it. Because I'm into my VR. It's, the, it's, the, it's what I call future perfect it's what i imagine the future to be and yet i've actually got it right now epic so um what on that let, well this may be the, the answer to the next question what's the best tech that's ever been invented <laughs> wow what a question that is the best tech that's ever been invented good god in your eyes in in generic terms video games um uh, in in real terms i uh, oh wow the single device or category single device go on we're gonna make it hard well, it has to be the personal computer, doesn't it? Really, yeah. it has totally. to be the personal computer because it, it can, you know, compute the DNA sequence for cancer and enable you to, you know, watch YouTube. I mean, how diverse can one thing possibly be? It's it's remarkable. And Tim Berners Lee as well with the the internet. Together. I'd say maybe the internet being yeah. being coming in a close second. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, what what tech device has kept you sane during lockdown? Wow. Uh, okay. Well, I've already mentioned Oculus Quest, the VR helmet. So mm -hmm. I'll leave that to one side. I'd say uh, my Sega Mega Drive, um, you know, circa what, I don't know, when was it? 1989, 1990. Um, <clears throat> uh, because I love my retro video games. I post about them on Instagram every day. I play all the old games, you know, Double Dragon, uh, Outrun, whatever it is that uh, floats your boat. And I just love my retro gaming consoles and finding them all out, dusting them down, finding the connectors, getting them working has, has, has been my distraction. Who among your kids is most likely to follow in your footsteps? Jackson, who's my 13-year-old. Um, he earns more money than um, me on Twitch. <laughs> 
Now, what I mean by that is Twitch, for those of you not familiar, is the world's leading uh, real-time streaming platform. So more people stream on Twitch than they do on YouTube. Um, although obviously uh, when, you down, when you normally just watch content on YouTube, I mean live streaming. We've both got shows. I do a show about the 80s, all that stuff I was telling you about, the Mega Drive and the yeah. NES and the Master System that I've got behind me in the studio that I'm talking to you in. Um, and I get a, a group of people that watch. He gets a much larger group of people that watch, and they all like they all cheer him along and stuff. And he, he earns hundreds of pounds every month, and he plays oh, a game called Fortnite, and, uh, and he's a bit of a sort of mini celeb, which is just mega. I love that. You must and, be so and, proud. Yeah, I am really, really proud. I'm really proud. He's lovely. And he's very, he's very warm and he's very kind. He's not, because some of these gamers can be a bit mean, can't they? Yeah, on their streams. Yeah. And he's not at all. And I think that's why kids come and watch him because he's actually quite nice. I love it when, you're, um, when your family get involved in, in your YouTube channel and, you, and the videos that you do, and it's a real family occasion. I, I certainly saw that, obviously, when you're doing your, your year traveling. But, um, but since as well, it's just like, you guys are so cool as a family. Well, I, I don't know whether they necessarily want to be involved, Hamish. Um, <laughs> I, I force them to be. It does help that my youngest, who's now 11, looks, he just looks like a surf model, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. In fact, all your kids look like surfer models. Well, Harrison does especially. He's got this incredible blonde hair down to his shoulders. And and he's just so kind of, you know, laissez-faire. He's just really chilled out. And anything he does, he just looks beautiful. And um, so it does help because you've got, you've got, you've got, you know, me kind of like Gollum. And then, you know, you've got to, you've got to get someone who's got a bit of a, a good face on camera. And that's why I rolled them in. And, and they, you know, also, I don't know what you think as well, because you do a lot of kind of content on your social media, but it's hard to just do it on your own, isn't it? You, you see these YouTubers and they just talk to camera so fluidly for ages. I, I can't really do that. I need to bounce off people. And so yeah. I like to use the family for that. Okay. So we've actually had some questions in from, from our, from our listeners, which is awesome. So this is a big question. So okay. just to prepare you, um, Charlotte Russell wants to know what, what's the future of AI? I've deliberately kept it. I kept this topic off until now to talk about yeah. AI so specifically. The, so the, the, the uh, so we're already in AI, you know, it's AI that is enabling the likes of Google and Facebook to analyze your data, which is highly complicated. And that data is leading them to, um, you know, billions of dollars worth of, of profit because it's so valuable, but very, very complex. Um, it's also analyzing, you know, your, what, how the, um, uh, pandemic is performing right now because we're still in that stage um it's evolving trading it's evolving you know the 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 sort of architectural problems that that uh, you were talking about software solving earlier um it's all it's in, it's involved in predicting uh, weather patterns and and so it's very much part of our lives in the future it's going to move on to uh, some really quite exceptionally complex issues um like uh this is in, in, like solving degenerative disease and cancers, uh, developing new materials that we've never even heard of, reinventing physics, um, meaning discovering things within the current model of physics that we haven't discovered yet, um, and providing technologies that we haven't even dreamt of. So, you know, the ability for complex systems like motorways and cars to move around while we sit in the back, you know, immersed in VR, or hopefully maybe even chatting to each other. Um, and uh, yeah, those, those sorts of things in the sort of medium to long term. And then uh, beyond that, well, that's incredible because you start to get into some sort of 80s sci-fi dystopian concept where, 
you know, AI starts to sort of challenge its own place in the world and whether it's superior or not to the wet computers that gave birth to it, namely us. And I don't know whether that's all a bit too philosophical. I know this much, that when one thing that does scare me in real terms, you know, you know that one of the reasons that we've got so many passwords and, and all these things that we use on our computers and smartphones are so hard and unuser-friendly to get into is because we have to protect against the very real reality of hacking um, for, for money. And um, that could be really tricky in the future with AI because anyone that's got a sufficiently advanced AI um, in the wrong hands, they could focus it on stealing your personal data, your money, your identity and privacy. And that's going to be a real challenge. And the only way to fight that is with other AI. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is the proliferation of, of, of weaponry, biological and um, agents and uh, that sort of stuff. That's going to be very tricky because you'll be able to compute chemical compounds so much more uh, quickly. I mean, one of the reasons that the proliferation of nuclear weapons has taken such a long time is because it's such complex physics. And so you need access to very powerful computational models and, and individuals, people, uh, to design these incredibly complex machines that are nuclear weapons. Well, that, I mean, you'll be able to do that on, a, on the equivalent of a phone in that is 20 terrifying. years' time. It is. And, but equally, don't worry, because we'll also have AI models that are predicting where that's happening and um, you know, giving us a forewarning and an opportunity to, to dodge it. I don't know. It's, it's tricky. It is a really mm. tricky world that we're walking into. There's that quote from Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I um, love that quote. You've, well, the reason, that it's, <clears throat> the reason it's a good... I can never quote it accurately, so you're going to have to write <laughs> it down for me. <laughs> yeah, I've just said it a lot of times. Um, and <laughs> what it means to me is it predicts something else that I, I believe will happen. And that is that we're, we're obsessed with technology at the moment but it's, it's going to become invisible. Um, and we will just have uh, imaginary service, like services that we effectively dream up, experiences that we just think up. And, and we will have hidden stealthy technology that enables them to happen. Totally. Other, and one other, more, sorry, on. I'm just gonna say the other dimension to the AI issue as well, which concerns me is the socioeconomic dimension. So, you know, uh, it could be very, it, it could exclude sections of society that's another worry so that's something we need to get behind oh, yeah. but a lot of a lot of prominent thinkers are on this you know pe pe a lot of scientists people like elon musk famously and um stephen hawking have, have all sort of highlighted our need to get serious about ai and to have some form of of control system around it and one more question because i know you're going to love it chris cannon wants to know um are we going to end up living in houses like back to the future too well, the house in Back to the Future 2 is, a, is not great. It's, it's a bit like my house. So it's got lots of kind of technology, but most of it's useless and it doesn't really work that well. Um, and, so hopefully not. Yeah. So I think, that, I mean, Back to the Future 2 is a slapstick comedy. People forget this. They think about the self-lacing uh, Nike mags and they think about the, the, uh, the, the, the fact that DeLorean can now fly, um, powered by, you know, cans of drink and banana skins. I can't remember what he puts in the Mr. Fusion. And, um, they, and, and they forget that actually it's a, a series of buffoon, buffoonery, like a whole load of buffoonery with lots of sort of silly, silly ideas and gadgets. So I don't know whether that's the house I'd like to live in. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's right. In fact, it's interesting. I, I, it's a really good idea. What house from the future would you like to live in? I don't know. Maybe, maybe 
um, Tony Stark's mansion. Mm. That, that's kind of cool with the workshop where he can. Although I quite like your idea stuff. that you came up with um, when you did that article for us about um, reviewing the Hotel 30 years in the, in the future, about a surface being personalized to whatever you want it to be. Um, yeah. And I can really see how that would not even when it comes to like circadian rhythm, for example, and lighting, you know, using that within surfaces would be absolutely awesome. And it would have such a wellness quality to it that would really take your home or take your interior to, to the next level. That would be cool. I think yeah. our listeners who are listening now get quite worried about technology and, and when to inject it in without without coming across gimmicky. That's um, why that's why you need to remember this notion that it's going to disappear pretty soon. And, and more than any technology, augmented reality or mixed reality is going to be the technology that does that. And what I mean is I'm holding up my phone right now. Um, Hamish can see it because he's connected yeah. on video. You can't, but I'm holding up my phone. And honestly, this is going to be pure comedy in 10 years time, 10 years, sorry, not, not 50 years time, 10 years time. This is going to look as stupid as those Motorola brick phones look now. <laughs> and if you think about it, this six, 16 by nine screen, this weighty battery that you have to plug in twice a day. Um, it's so cumbersome. It, it wears out my back pocket, gives me a saggy bum because I put it in my back pocket. I've got to sort of fart about plugging things into it. And it's just, it's very inelegant in terms of design. A much more stealthy thing, he says, as he puts on his very well-known white glasses, uh, is hey. something like this. So I've now put my glasses on and... Um, imagine a retinal imaging device here that could augment my room in front of me with information that I could now talk to you and, and appear even more erudite and informed uh, by floating above you. And as I walk down the street, give me waypoints and arrows where I need to go or uh, a subtle version of whatever content I want to carry on watching from my Netflix of the future. Um, um, hopefully not overlaid so that I walk out in front of a car, but then that car would be automated and it would see me coming way before the human inside <laughs> ever did. And um, can you see how, how instantly already the technology has gone. It's still like the phone reminds me it's warm. I have to plug it in. I'm in an analog way connected to its machine like characteristics. The glasses are, they vanish. And, and all I have is this digital augmented reality. And that's, that's what I mean by magic. It's only going to be truly magic when it's not visible. Even now I put on my, um, it's looking if it's around here. Here we are. I know that the listeners can't obviously see this, but I'm holding it up for Hamish. What am I holding up, Hamish? You're holding it. up your VR set. Yep. And it's white and it's quite, quite diminutive already. It's got a couple of glass lenses in it. And, um, you know, already I put that on and okay, the sponge that touches my forehead is a little bit sort of uh, you know, uncomfortable and it's not great in terms of focus and the battery runs out and the graphics aren't great, but I'm already lost in the, whatever experience I'm having. And it might be, I might uh, be climbing a building in uh, climb two, which is one of my favorite games, um, you know, walking the plank on a pirate ship or something. And, and <laughs> be because of the immersive nature of that technology, the, the weight on my head, and the warmth of it and all these giveaways start to kind of vanish and the magic mm. of that experience happens. That's what I'm talking about. And so 
Um, I think yeah. it's really I forget why we even went what, down this but, but road, but you get but the But that's point. what designers are trying to do day in, day out anyway, is to make these spaces so that, you know, you don't necessarily see these elements, but subconsciously you're taking them in and, and it does it does become magic. You're, you're totally right. But one thing I must just say that with all this virtuality and this incredible AI and these new technologies, the one thing that will become even more valuable is the old world tangible physical, natural experience. And that is at the heart of so many hotel experiences. You know, the smell of the freshly ground coffee beans and the barista with the tattoos and that whole experience thing. Indeed, the high street, which is dying on its knees right now, is going to move to an experiential model because that's what it can do and Amazon can't do. In the same way, when I'm lost in my VR in my home office or working from home for a few weeks, I'll want to go to a hotel that's got some stuff I haven't got and it's got real art and, and beautiful designs and great gardens and great food and lovely people and great grounds and experiences that I can have um, that are you know, tangible and real. Absolutely. And I think that's the word, isn't it? Experience. That that really is the word. Jason, I'm so sorry, but we've actually run out of time. But it's been no such a pleasure, such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. See you soon. And that was Jason Bradbury, who always manages to clearly and definitively explain technology in such a logical way. And I can just imagine what Christmases and birthdays must be like in the Bradbury household. Tech and gadgets everywhere. Next month's episode will explore the relationship between fashion and design. To help us do this, we're inviting Jack Irving, a fashion designer who regularly works with the likes of Lady Gaga, Paris Hilton, and many other stars. But it was an interior design project that he completed a few years ago that really sparked my interest and made me question how the two worlds can collide in harmony. If you have any questions for Jack or if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email us. The email address is designpod.editor at gmail.com or simply DM myself and Harriet on Instagram. My handle is at hotel design editor. 